Hello and welcome to the Awakening Report. I am your host, Doug Hamp. It's a pleasure to have you with me this evening. We are going to take a look at an exciting part of Scripture, one that often gets overlooked, and for good reason, it's at the end of the Bible, and we just usually don't spend a lot of time there. So it's in Revelation chapter 20. You probably remember the passage where Satan has been put away for a thousand years. And, well, then he's let out, and he goes out, and he deceives the nations so many so that they are like the sands of the sea. They come up against the new Jerusalem, and they attack it, and then fire comes down out of heaven from God. What an epic ending to an incredible saga. But why is it going to end that way? Are there any clues in Scripture that would help us to understand why this whole thing comes down like this? Well, I believe that there are, and we're going to take a look at these, and I'm going to stitch together the, the best that I can do to give you an idea of why Satan might do what he's going to do, and maybe how he's going to do what he's going to do, and how long he'll have to accomplish these different things. So just uh, sit back, have a good listen, but make sure that you have your pen and pencil or uh, or you know, computer or or phone or whatever, ready, and do jot down some questions. You can put those in the uh, in the question section. Now, some of you ask, well, how do I get to the question? You have to go to youtube.com forward slash Doug Hamp, and you should see the live presentation right there. And under the lot, there's a live chat box where you can go and you can uh, you can ask questions or leave your comments, whatever you want to do. Uh, the questions I will get to during the show, the comments will have to wait for another time. But uh, we're going to make this as interactive as we possibly can. If you uh, also want to subscribe, that would be awesome. And then maybe click that little bell. That way you get notified when something new comes out. Uh, if you want to help support this, you can go to my Patreon page. Uh, you can also go to my website. You can pick up a book. In fact, I have this whole thing uh, in book format. And some people ask, well, why do you sell stuff? Why do you put on ads? Well, you know, I got to pay the rent like everybody else. Uh, well, at least it's a mortgage at this point. So, you know, uh, real costs and... Uh, just letting you know that that's just the reality. And for those of you that do support, I just want to say thank you. I really do appreciate it. It means a lot. Uh, I love getting letters from people. And, you know, so it's great. I appreciate the prayer. I appreciate the, uh, the, the letters. And, of course, I do appreciate the money. It all helps. Uh, and it all is what it takes to keep everything spinning. So without further ado, let's get into this topic of why Satan is going to have a final rebellion. What is he going to do when he gets there? Let's go ahead and get this thing started here. So the final rebellion, it's going to be the assault on the New Jerusalem. Now, this is part three of a three-part series that I did a couple years ago. Uh, so the first part we looked at is a second coming, the Battle of Armageddon. If you haven't seen that, I encourage you to go and check it out. It's here on my YouTube channel. Uh, also, then the Millennium Heaven on Earth. And what we discovered between these two is that when Jesus comes back, he is going to come in fire and flame, and the earth is going to be destroyed at that time. Now, it's not going to blow up like the Death Star, but it is going to be completely devastated. Uh, we read about that in many passages, and then he's going to have to recreate it. So, here we are in our text. This is Revelation 20, verses 7 through 9. When, now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up over the, on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven, uh, from God out of heaven and devoured them. So we have a few things to look at. Now, just a really quick review of parts one and two. We know that, we know that the veil is gone. There's this, this force field, this veil between uh, God's domain and our domain that's been taken away. And so now everybody is exposed to God's fire or to his plasma. Satan and his angels or his demons have been bound for a thousand years and the earth is completely renewed or restored. It's the beginning of the millennium. This does not happen at the end of the millennium. Now, I used to think that way, and then I kept looking at these scriptures, and I said, wait a second, this stuff doesn't fit. 
according to the traditional understanding. And so we we looked at this in the last video. I won't go through all those scriptures again, but um, check that out if you need to. <clears throat> and we also determine that the mountain of God is equal to Mount Zion or the city of God, which is the new Jerusalem. All right. So those are our starting uh, positions for this study. And the millennial Jerusalem is the heavenly Jerusalem. They are one and the same. Then the heavenly Jerusalem will descend at the beginning of the millennium. Now, we're told in Daniel 7.18 that when uh, we see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, it says, Then the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Now, that sounds like a long time to me. So this is only uh, yet one more piece of evidence as to why the kingdom that Jesus establishes when he returns on this earth is going to last forever. It's not going to last only a thousand years until God destroys the planet uh, after the thousand years. No, that's that's the traditional thinking, uh, at least the traditional dispensational thinking. But according to this, he's going to set up a kingdom at that time that will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And we also see in Revelation 21.1, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was also no more sea. So what I'm suggesting is that Revelation 21.1 is actually happening at the beginning of the millennium. And I made this case in the last video, and we looked at Isaiah 65.17-20. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, for the child shall die 100 years old. The sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. So we have the new heavens and earth. And we still have death possible. So there are mortals on the planet. And what happened at the time of the second coming, there was an ash cloud that had blanketed uh, the earth, blocking out the sun and the moon. Billions were killed. All the oceans, rivers, and lakes had turned to blood. The veil of the heavens passed away. And everyone saw Jesus coming in flaming fire. And every mountain and island is moving, shaken, gone. And the mountains and such begin to melt. So we now have a need for a new thing. So God then will create the new heavens and earth at the beginning of the millennium. I'm going really fast because we talked about this last time. And the traditional chronology of the new heavens and earth is as such. Now, again, this is the traditional chronology. This is not what I think, but this is what I used to think, okay? Uh, and this is what many people still believe. And, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But I would suggest that they have some things out of out of order. Uh, so according to the traditional, you first have the sheep and the goats judgment, Matthew 25 followed by a millennial new heavens and earth. So there's this is like your second set, and then you're going to have a third set. And then you have the Satan in uh, the final rebellion a thousand years later, followed by the great white throne judgment. And then you have the ultimate new heavens and earth. All right. Now, these, they would suggest, are two different sets of heavens and earth. And what I'm suggesting is no they're one and the same. So this is uh, what I would call this the biblical chronology. Uh, this is really looking at all of the verses in the Bible, not just the book of Revelation. So you have the sheep and the goats judgment. You then have the new heavens and earth. There's only one set. There's not going to be two uh, or not. There will be three. There will only be two. As John said, I saw new heavens and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. So after one comes two, right? So it's pretty simple. And then we have the new Jerusalem descending. This is at the beginning of the millennium. And then Satan's final rebellion will come 1,000 years later. And then we have the final judgment. So whoever has not been judged yet will be judged at the great white throne judgment. All right, so just a few more clues here, and we'll get into uh, our study proper. Jesus said, Surely I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory. So there again, that word, palingenesia, the regeneration. That's when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, and they're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, I think most people would agree this happens during the millennium. And so you have the regeneration. That's the recreation of all things happening there in the millennium. And we compared this last week with Titus 3.5. So again, you can go ahead and check that out. We also saw that the earth is going to be liberated, not destroyed, because the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, and it's because it's going to be delivered from the bondage of corruption. All right, so it's going to be delivered, not blown up. All right, there, that's the, one of the big differences. And again, uh, more scriptures, you can take a look at these, but these are all in the previous study. So now... 
will there really be a rebellion after a thousand years of peace? I mean, seriously, you've had good times for the last thousand years. Can we really believe that somehow it's going to all be followed by this massive rebellion? Well, I believe so, because that's what Scripture seems to indicate. And this is really Satan's final assault. So what we're told is that when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for battle. Now let's just stop for a second. So Satan has been put into the abyss. He's been put in this place called the Bor or the Abuso or the bottomless pit, if you will. He, he was there. I believe the reason he is put in that place is because he finally committed the 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 trespass that he was not supposed to do, which got the other fallen angels in trouble back in the days of Noah. That is when they came down and they tried to have relations with women. And that was the big no-no that got them into lots of trouble. And now Satan is going to do it. Uh, I base this on my research for corrupting the image. You can check that out in my videos or books. But I suggest that Satan will uh, try and he will successfully uh, fuse his DNA with a human, and that person will be known as the beast or the Antichrist, and that will be now Satan's undoing, uh, and it will get him thrown into prison for a thousand years. So during this thousand-year period, and it says that, uh, that he will during this period, he will no longer deceive the nations, and now when it's, once it's over, he'll be released from his prison, and he's going to go out and deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. So when the Bible says the sand of the sea, it means it's a whole lot of people, okay? Uh, it's almost uncountable. And they went out up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. Now the saints here, it just means those people who are set apart. And who did God set apart? Well, he set apart Israel, of course. So um, the new covenant is for the house of Judah and the house of Israel. You can check that out in Jeremiah 31, 31. Uh, but that's, of course, another discussion. And so now they're going to they're going to surround the camp of the saints, those people who are part of Israel, who obviously are believers. No question about that. Uh, they're not rebels, but they they are on board with Jesus and the beloved city. Well, what beloved city are we talking about? There's no other city that's beloved except Jerusalem. And of course, we're talking about the new Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Wow, there's a lot in this passage. I wish there were a lot more in this passage, but it's a very brief outline. So what we're going to need to do is go back and recreate the very to the very best of our ability this the situation, the circumstances, and the scenario of what it, the world is going to be like during the thousand years. Now, just a really quick snapshot, I would suggest that what was going to happen is that the mortals will have very little opportunity to rebel. Uh, we're told that if they don't come up to Jerusalem, they won't get any rain. You know, So there are some consequences, but they don't really have a lot of opportunity to do bad stuff because you got Jesus, you've got a bunch of angels, you've got uh, you know, we who have received our new bodies, we will be judging with Jesus, with the disciples. Uh, you know, we might be over five cities or 10 cities or maybe one city or no cities, but we will have a role to play in this time. So uh, it's kind of like having, you know, policemen every five feet. You know, there, there's not a lot of stuff you can do if you're a bad guy. You, you pretty much have to keep the law. But I believe that the angst in the hearts of men will still be there and they will say you know what if i could rule myself if i didn't have jesus raining down my neck and if i could if i could throw off the yoke of jesus and his kingdom i could rule myself and we could rule ourselves so much better and so i believe that people will be pining for satan to get out in fact i think that they are going to help him escape. Now, the text says that he'll be released. So I think from God's perspective, he's going to be released. But from maybe his perspective or from mankind's perspective, they they spring him out of jail. Okay, so uh, it will be the same thing. He'll get out. But and of course, we know that God is the one like, yeah, open the door. But I think 
the people will be like, they're going to try to help him get out. Uh, and that way it'll feel like, you know, they've really accomplished something. Now, again, that's partly speculation. So this is a, a really challenging topic because the, the, the facts are so scant. We can only, you know, paint a, a broad picture at best. I can only give you so many details based on principles I see in scripture. So I'll do my very best, uh, but don't hold me to, you know, coming up with a little bit of imagination because the, not every detail is given in scripture. So now how long will Satan have to go out and deceive the nations. We're told that after these things, he must be released for a little while. Well, how long is a little while? I mean, how little is a little while? We don't know. Or do we? I think we do. And I believe, I get this from Daniel 7, 12. It says, the rest of the beasts had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now let's just go to the, let's let's put some some thinking on here. Uh, we know that a, a time, a done, is or idan is a time times and half a time okay we see that in the book of daniel that a time times and half a time equals three and a half years that is then contrasted with 42 months which is contrasted with 1260 days so i think we have it on, on pretty good authority that a time is one year and it says their lives will be prolonged for a season and a time. Now, I've put the word millennium in there, and you might say, well, where do you get the idea that it's going to be a millennium? Where does it say that in Scripture? I'm basing this on Isaiah 24, 21, and 22, where it says, and that he will um, he will uh, have this battle with those on high. On high, the host of exalted ones will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and they will be shut up in the prison after many days they will be punished okay so so I, I suggest that the rest of the beasts in daniel chapter 7 and the host of exalted ones are the same uh, group of bad guys these are the fallen angels his demons whatever you want to call them these are all the, the bad dudes that have been serving satan they're they're not human at this point uh i mean they were never human but they're you know they're fallen angels of one one sort or another and that they are going to have their lives prolonged for a season and a time. All right. So the season, I, I'm making the suggestion here that it is going to be the millennium. Because what we see in Isaiah 24 is that they will be shut up in the prison. Many days they will be punished. Well, we, we're told how long that is going to be, how many, how many after many days, how we're talking, in Revelation, it says it's going to be for 1,000 years. So that gives us how many, many days we have, which is 1,000 years. So that would be the season. And then it says they'll be released for a little while. Well, Daniel told us that they will have a season and a time. And again, a time is one year. Now, what is so interesting about this is that if if uh, my research is correct, then the time of the second coming will be in the fall. It will correspond with the fall feast, and Jesus will return at the time of the Feast of Trumpets. I think that makes good sense at the last trumpet, right? So... Uh, that would make a lot of sense if Jesus came back on the Feast of Trumpets. And when you look at his first coming, his death, burial, resurrection, all happened on the feast, on Passover, on unleavened bread, and then, of course, on first fruits. Then the Holy Spirit uh, is given on, on Pentecost, which is known as Shavuot, or weeks, uh, on the festival calendar. So that gives us great uh, impetus to believe that the second coming will fall on the same timetable, but instead of the spring feast, it will be the fall feast. So if Jesus returns on the Feast of Trumpets, then he will come back. He will have this incredible battle, which we looked at in the first part of this series. And, um, you know, it, it's not like he comes back and then suddenly everybody's dead. There's this huge battle that's going to take place. And, of course, that takes time. Things happen in time. They don't just happen at the, the snap of some fingers, but they actually take time. Now, of course, God could just snap his divine fingers and it would be all 
be done, but he doesn't like to do it that way for some reason. So I'm suggesting that we will have a period of about 10 days from the time of the Feast of Trumpets until the judgment seat that I will believe will take place at Yom Kippur. And that, I believe, is when Satan is going to be put into the abyss. He will then get his judgment. But it's not his final judgment, but it is his judgment. He's judged at this time. He's put into the abyss on Yom Kippur. And so if he's in there for 1,000 years exactly, that means that he will be released on Yom Kippur. All right, so that is going to become significant when we start looking at why there are blood sacrifices during the time of the millennium. It's a, a very important part of it. So there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, I hope this is all making sense so far. Again, if you have questions, please go ahead and, and jot those down, and I will I will get back with them. So I believe that understanding the millennium unlocks the final assault against the New Jerusalem. So let's take a look and see what are some of the components of the millennium, and that'll give us these bigger clues to understanding what's going to happen at that final rebellion. So we have uh, immortals who will be in their new bodies versus the mortals. We also have the millennial sacrifices, and those are for the protection of the mortals. I'm going to explain that in just a little bit. And we see that death is still possible for the mortals, of course, not for the immortals, obviously. And then there will be a river of life available for the mortals for cleansing, and there will be the tree of life available for mortals for the transforming, transformation and for healing. Okay, so the aspects of the immortals, those are for, for born-again people who have put their trust and faith in Jesus, and they will be resurrected or given a new body at the time of the return of Christ. And so the, the body of the immortals is going to be pretty amazing. We're told that we're going to be clothed in light. Daniel says that those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, as what Jesus tells us. And he says that those who are uh, part of the resurrection will have a body similar to that of an angel. So we will be shining we will be bright. Again, I explain this in my book, Corrupting the Image, how uh, we will have bodies of light. We will literally be shining, putting out light uh, in those new bodies. Now, that will be kind of the, the core essence of our body, but it would also seem that we are going to have some kind of a covering. And I believe that this is analogous to what we see in Ezekiel 28, 13, where Satan himself, before he turned into a bad guy, it says, every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, diamond, etc. So we will have something similar to that. Paul says, if now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So it would seem that we are going to have a basic garment, and what we are able to put on that garment is really up to us and how we live our lives. And we will have, uh, you know, two types of uh, covering, something that's gold, silver, precious stones, things that are valuable, that last, that can make it through fire, or things that burn up in the fire, wood, hay, and straw. And it's going to become clear in that day because it's going to be revealed by fire. Again, the veil between heaven and earth has been taken away, and now God's fire permeates this dimension. And that's why it's important to have a new body so that you don't get toasted. And again, I explained some of these things, the genetics of the incarnation and the resurrection. Now, authority is given to the immortals. It's, authority is given to the immortals. Uh, John tells us, he says, I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So, those people who uh, are resurrected at the time of the second coming will have judgment committed to them. So I would anticipate that I would be in that group, I hope. And Jesus says that when, when the king returned, having received the kingdom, 
Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little, have authority over 10 cities. So how you live your life, the faithfulness that you and I are, how we're living our lives will have a direct impact, a direct translation into the authority and responsibility that we are given in the age to come. So, you know, let's not be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Jesus wants us to be in this world, to be living to the very fullest of our ability and to take the gifts that he's given us and invest those. It might be time. It might be money. It might be some kind of a talent. Uh, it, it might just be, you know, pray. I mean, I don't want to say just, but I mean, it might be praying for people. Okay. That's huge. It really is huge. And I don't mean to disparage that at all. I'm sorry if I did, but what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't have to be something that we would consider to be outstanding, like, you know, billions of dollars. It could be something that is relatively simple, that you don't need any kind of advanced degrees. You don't need uh, any kind of externals, but something like prayer that is powerful and and doing that. And of course, there's so many other things. You know, maybe it's going and, and just uh, holding babies at the hospital. Uh, that don't have their mother or somebody or, or, you know, helping out the widows and the orphans, just like God said, uh, that would be very good. We will be given authority over various number of cities. So that would be part of what we're uh, given. And it says, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So that is part of the heritage that those who are faithful will be given in the, in the kingdom. Now, the immortals are going to lead the nations in bringing gifts into the new Jerusalem. And it says, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. So that's Isaiah 65 through 7. Uh, parallel passage there is in Psalm 72. So this is talking about a, a future time when the Gentiles are going to come to the city of the new Jerusalem, and they're going to bring the wealth of the nations into that arena. And of course, we see this in Revelation 21. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, the city's light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. So now sometimes I get the question, well, wait a second. If we're in the eternal state in Revelation 21, then who are these kings of the earth? Well, that just begs the question, why should we think that Revelation 21 is in the eternal state after the thousand years, but it's it's actually during the thousand years? And now it makes perfect sense. Uh, it makes just perfect sense. And of course, it uh, we find so many parallels uh, throughout Scripture, Isaiah 60 being one of those. And so they're going to bring their, their glory and honor into it, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations, of the Gentiles, into it. Parallel passage. When you're doing your Bible study, always look for a parallel passage. And you should always be able to find a parallel passage between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're all over the place. We just have to look for them. It says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, that is Beit Adonai, shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. So the mountain of the house of the Lord. Uh, actually, I think my Hebrew is kind of messed up there. My my apologies. Uh, it got twisted around. I knew something was wrong. It's actually Har Beit Yehovah. So there we go. So my bad. Uh, I have to fix that. I didn't catch that in time. But So it's Har Beit Yehovah. The, the mountain of the house of the Lord. And I don't know how it got turned around, but it did in any event. Um, so the, this this is talking about the new Jerusalem. Parallel passage here in, uh, well, it just goes on, Micah 4.2. Many people should come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Again, the mountain of the Lord is the new Jerusalem, and Torah is going to come out of that. From out of Zion shall go forth Torah. That's what it says. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So here's just more evidence that the new Jerusalem is on the planet during the thousand years, 
Uh, it's known as a mountain, which means it's going to be a pyramid, not a cube. And, uh, and of course, God himself is there. It's all right here in the text. So now we have the context a little bit more. So again, when the final years, uh, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. He's going to go out. He's going to deceive the nations, etc. We'll come back to this in a little bit. So aspects of mortal life. What might life be like for somebody who does not have an immortal body yet, uh, but what is it going to be like? How similar will it be to what we have now? Well, first of all, the mortals are the tribulation survivors' children. And it would appear that they have a grace period of 100 years based on Isaiah 65, verse 20. They will travel to the city, the New Jerusalem, for the feast. And those loyal to Jesus travel on the highway of holiness. They must put on immortality uh, in order to enter into the new Jerusalem. They will have the river of life, which is for cleansing. They'll have the tree of life, which is for transformation. And sacrifices will provide a covering or a forest field until they are transformed. So let's take a look at some of these. So the mortals are survivors. We see in Isaiah chapter 4, in that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who was left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. So the spirit of judgment, I believe, is when Jesus judged, judge, he judges. And by the spirit of burning, this is what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That uh, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, each one's work will become clear, for it will, it will be revealed in that day by fire. So I think this is what Paul was referring to. He was getting that, that idea from this passage. Now, there will also be a thousand-year grace period. And to be honest, we could read this in two different directions. So I've assumed, I've made the assumption that a hundred years is kind of like the minimum. It's it's basically, you're not really considered an adult until you get to a hundred. According to Numbers 32, it was uh, the men who were 20 years old and above who were then condemned to die in the wilderness until 40 years had passed and all the men of that generation had passed. So if you were 19 and younger, back in the wilderness, you did not die. You were not counted or judged as an adult. But if you were 20, you were judged as an adult. And I think that is analogous to what we have here in the future, that you'll get to make it to 100. That's kind of your, that's like a, a given. And uh, if you die before that, well, something is really wrong. You're considered a youth. Uh, and, of course, clearly you are accursed for some reason. So that seems to be the case. Now, 100 years, I mean, most of us, uh, if we even live to be 100. We're, you know, thinking you're doing pretty good here. Uh, but 100 years at that time will be considered nothing. You're like, well, you only live to 100? What is wrong with it? <laughs> All right. Now, uh, in the future, high tech, the high tech of today is going to be low tech in the millennium. Let's just think about it. What, what the world will not need. Let's think about, let's go back a few years here. This is Electronics Illustrated. I mean, look at this thing. Uh, this this magazine looks so old, we kind of laugh at it. You know, this funny hairstyle, right? And this old microphone. And, you know, we're not impressed by that at all. Or you think of all of the CRV computer monitors that are now just, you know, who, who knows where they are? I mean, they're, they're not good for anything, at least you know, not in our first world country, they're not good for anything. And then all of the electronics that have come and gone over the years, we look back and we kind of scoff at those things because, well, that's old technology. And of course, now things are changing so quickly. Something that's 10 years old uh, is considered ancient history. Uh, and even things, you know, eight track tapes and uh, cassettes and, and records and, and cassette tapes, all those, uh, those are now in museums because, you know, People don't know what they are. Now, well, what is that thing? You know, or a, a phone with a cord on it. I mean, you know, again, it so quickly becomes out of date. So the world is not going to need all of the high tech gadgetry that we have. And also, we will not need the heaters or air conditioners because we will not have the inclement weather that we have today. 
Of course, when we have extreme cold, we need heaters, extreme heat, we need air conditioners. Now, to make those things run, we need the coal industry, we need the natural gas industry, we need nuclear, you know, all kinds of things. And of course, big machinery to move this stuff around. There's a tremendous amount of effort that goes into getting the natural resources to provide the electricity to keep us warm or to keep us cool. In the future, we will not need that. And of course, the hundreds of thousands of miles of electric lines that make all of this stuff possible. In the future, we won't need that because the earth is going to be a really wonderful place. Now, as far as communications and energy, uh, we can just think of a few things that there'll be no problems really to overcome. There'll be no wars to win, no diseases to cure, no crimes to solve, no factories to manage, and the planet is going to be healed. And so most of the jobs that computers perform will not be needed. It'll be a completely different kind of economy, a different kind of environment, a different kind of communication. And I would submit that uh, prayers in the age to come will kind of be like emails, what emails are today. Prayers will be in the future. And I don't just mean prayers where, you, where you're, you're, you're praying directly to God, but in other words, let's think of it as telepathy, that you'll be able to send a message by your thought versus having to use some kind of a mechanical or electronic interface to make that happen. I, I, I'm basing this on Revelation 5.8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then the angel takes these and he throws them down and they cause all kinds of havoc. Now, these prayers are in golden bowls full of incense, incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Well, when you pray something, you're sending a message, right? Albeit to God, of course, but you're still, you're sending a message. How are you sending this? Well, you're sending it wirelessly, that's for sure. Uh, you're sending it over the, the Wi-Fi network, so to speak. Um, and these apparently are stored in golden bowls. Now that's interesting. That's very counterintuitive, but think about it. If a man from a couple hundred years ago came and saw our boxes that are sitting under our desks or on top of our desks or the things we carry in our phone, it's a strange looking box and yet it does all kinds of amazing things, he probably would equally be blown away. So I believe that we actually have some high tech, uh, high techness going on uh, in Revelation 5 8. Uh, and and the, the, the communications that we send to heaven are actually stored in these golden bowls. That seems to be what it suggests. And we're also told that there's going to be a new light source, which, of course, be God himself. But also, we have the sun and the moon. They never go away. It's really a misnomer to think that the sun and the moon are destroyed in the age to come. Uh, now, they are ashamed compared to God because... You know, God's pretty impressive, and uh, when you take a flash it out onto a, out into the sunlight, uh, it doesn't do anything, right? And so that will be similar to how the sun will not outshine God; it will be uh, take definitely take a backseat to God's light. But we are told that moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days, and the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of His people and heals the stroke of their wound. So, wow, the, the moon is going to be as bright as the sun. So that means really we're not going to have any darkness. There apparently will be no night uh, in this place. Uh, that'll, that'll be a, a real interesting uh, experience. The moon will be so bright, uh, which, of course, makes sense because the sun is going to be seven times brighter. So it's going to reflect off, the, the light of the sun will reflect off the moon that much greater onto planet Earth. So who knows? Maybe we'll have kind of a, a little bit of darkness. Uh, maybe it's kind of a dusk sense. Uh, every 24 hours, every 12 hours, we'll have kind of a, a dusk, but not really a full-fledged midnight kind of darkness. I don't know. But it's going to be very different than what it is today. People will build houses and vineyards. It says they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another head and inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. What this is telling us is that you are going to have a tremendous amount of food. A tremendous amount of food. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Well, that's good to know. There'll still be wine of that age. Uh, that'll be fun. Uh, and it's just going to be this incredible abundance that we really have never experienced. Even with, uh, you know, a lot of when people have money, they can buy lots of good food. Well, that's great, but not everybody gets to enjoy that. In the age to come, there will just be an incredible bounty. So again, you won't be lacking things. You're not going to be working for your food like you do today. You're not going to be working for your lodging like you do today. All of those things will be provided. So it'll be a very different economy. The things that drive our economy today will not drive it in the future. And this brings us, of course, to the topic of money. Now, why do we have money? Money is a store of value. I, I work to receive money, and then I use that money to go and buy my food, to pay for my mortgage, to pay for my car, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, it, the, it, the world is going to be so different at that time that a lot of the things that we need money for, we will not, uh, we will not need it then. And of course, the store of value, what would I really need to store value for? Because I'm not lacking anything. So if I'm not lacking anything, why would I need to store value you know, for that rainy day? Because the rainy day is never going to come. And hopefully people will know that. So you know, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll trade you an apple for an orange, something like that. But it's hard to imagine that there will really be any kind of a need for a monetary system like we have today. I'm not saying that gold is going to be gone. Uh, there will still be treasures of sorts. But it won't be the same kind of uh, monetary-based economy that we have today. And there'll be no economy which anyone will hold exclusively. Exclusively, uh, The food will be plentiful and never spoil. An abundance of land and perfect weather. And every gold, even gold and silver, will be in great abundance. So again, one thing that makes gold and silver attractive is that they are in limited quantities. But when you have this stuff just all over the place, of course, the value of it goes down because there's great abundance. So again... It's really hard to imagine that we're going to have any lack that you'd want to store up and, and hoard. Now, as far as occupations go, uh, there will be no doctors, surgeons, and nurses because there's no disease and no sickness. There'll be no lawyers. There'll be no judges because Jesus is the perfect judge, lawgiver, and the judge. There'll be no policemen because there are no robbers. Uh, and, and, of course, the list goes on. There'll be no bankers, no assets, commodities, or fiat currencies to manage, no weather forecasters because the weather's going to be great, no garbage men because there will be no waste and nothing will wear out or break, and no soldiers or military-industrial complex or even politicians because nations will never learn war again. So the old economy is absolutely gone, never to return. It's just not going to be the way it is today. So that gives us a real snapshot of sort of the, the daily life uh, for people. Now, the highway to the city, the Bible talks about this highway that's going up to Jerusalem. It says, A highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. So, whatever the road looks like, I don't know. It probably won't look like this, but again, who knows? But whoever gets on this highway, uh, they will be. It's a highway of holiness. It's a highway that is set apart. And if you're walking on this road, you'll get to where you need to go, presumably to the new Jerusalem. It says there will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria, as it was for Israel on the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. So there will be a highway there. And in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt and the Egyptian into Assyria. So it seems that there will be some kind of like a, a pyramid, or a, not a pyramid, but a, a triangle, going from Assyria to Egypt, and then both of those leading to the new Jerusalem. So it should be very interesting to see what this is like. Uh, you know, probably this will be some type of a, a freeway, if you will, maybe if it's an overpass. I don't know. Uh, but it will be a pretty exciting road. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. So again, maybe we have uh, elevated elevated roads, uh, and you can only get on the road if you are holy of some sort. 
if you are one who was looking for the truth and seeking to go to Jerusalem to worship the king or you know whatever official business you have there. Uh, there, this will be a very special road. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up a banner for the people, as Isaiah says. And then they're going to come, and they're going to celebrate the feast. So one thing that the roads will be for is to have uh, a way for people to get to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. That is the Feast of Tabernacles. So if you're not uh, celebrating that yet, I highly recommend that you do because it's a lot of fun for one. And two, it's a great dress rehearsal for the day when we are going to be doing this uh, all the time. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. So uh, we, we're told here that some people are not going to go up and there will be a penalty. They won't get any rain because they didn't go up. Uh, they're not going to be destroyed. They're not going to uh, you know, be thrown in prison, but they will not get any rain. Now, considering the incredible abundance of that time, uh, it would seem that rain will basically you know, make your food go from super incredibly abundant to just abundant. <laughs> okay, so uh, it will go from you know, above and beyond what you could imagine to just like, well, okay, that's pretty good. So I don't think that anybody's going to be dying of starvation because they didn't go up, but there will be some kind of a penalty. Many people shall come and say, let us come, let us go up to the Mount of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and out of the, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So again, they're going to go up to the new Jerusalem that where God is, and they're going to be encouraging each other to go up to that area. Now, this brings us to the question about the millennial sacrifices, because there will still be sacrifices during the millennium. This is uh, one of those things I think is very difficult for some people to understand. It was for me, too, to really get what is going on in the passage. But I would like to suggest that the sacrifices will provide a type of force field and that force field will be to protect the people from the fiery presence of God. Just like planet Earth is surrounded by a magnetosphere, which protects us from the solar and cosmic rays and particles. Or here in the Fantastic Four, uh, you know, she's protecting herself with the use of a force field. I think that's the same idea of what those things are for. Because the veil has been removed, and so people who are mortal will need some kind of a covering so that they don't get toasted by God. Because we see that God is enveloped in fire and electricity, and that is going to permeate the entire, um, the entire um, you know, everything. <laughs> His fire is going to permeate everything. And so those who don't have a new body will need some kind of a protection. Right now... Clouds and darkness surround God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his fire of his throne. A fire goes from goes before him and burns up his enemies round about. So right now he's got this clouds and darkness, and there's this veil between heaven and earth. If, if that veil is taken away, which we're told it really is going to, then we, we need something for mortals to be protected. We're told Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. So when God came down on earth, it was in smoke. It was on fire because of God's incredible presence. We see that there's smoke in the temple of uh, God in heaven. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So in that temple of God, which is going to be moved, by the way, but that temple is filled with smoke because God is in there, and that smoke seems to protect us from him, and maybe the angels as well, I can't say. Uh, Isaiah sees the same thing. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So uh, the house was filled with smoke, right? So there's all this smoke up in that area, and it's, it's there to protect. Jesus took his blood into the heavenly temple. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of his creation, 
not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all. So Jesus took his blood into that temple and he offered it there where all that smoke is and is what is needed to make peace between us and God. Now, in Revelation 21, it says, I heard a loud voice from heaven. The tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. But then John says, I saw no temple in it. So the temple that is currently in the new Jerusalem, where God is, where there's all this smoke, in the age to come, the temple will no longer be in the new Jerusalem. I would, I would suggest that that temple is going to be moved uh, brick by brick if necessary, but I'm sure God can do it. He's going to move the temple from its current location down to planet Earth. And then that temple on the Earth will serve its purpose for a thousand years. It's a temporary fix for people that don't have their new body. Because God really isn't into sacrifice. A sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. So the millennial temple is where the, the Levites are going to be there doing the work on behalf of God. It shall be that when I gather all nations and tongues, and I will also take some of them for priests and Levites, says the Lord, they shall slay the burnt offering and sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before them to minister to them, Ezekiel 44. So we're told very clearly that this is going to happen in the new, in the new, uh, excuse me, in the age to come on planet Earth, not in the new Jerusalem, but that temple, I believe, is going to be moved down to planet Earth. Now, the, the korban, which is the word for sacrifice, it's, it literally is the object which permits one to come near. So the korban lets somebody come near. It literally means to come near. When any one of you brings uh, a korban, uh, yakriv, so that brings near, yakriv, an offering, which is a korban, to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. So these will be operational in the millennium. We see this in Ezekiel 42 and all these, these verses here that I've uh, cited. You can check those out. The word atonement means covering. And you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. So the reason that I put this in here is that we see that even the altar can be atoned for. So if atonement means what some people suggest, which is, you know, getting us right with God and, you know, the blood of Jesus was, you know, for our sins and stuff— well, what's it? What is it doing for the for the altar? Is the blood doing something? You know, for the altar, kind of, you know, fixing its heart. Is it uh, getting a right relationship with God? Well, I don't think so. I think if we just go back to the Hebrew word kafar, which means to cover. So now you have a covering over this altar. You know, the altar didn't do anything wrong, but the altar itself needs a covering. And this makes sense because if the presence of God is there, and we saw what the presence of God did on Mount Sinai, the whole thing began to, to burn. It was on fire because God's presence was there. Well, that same presence comes into the temple and, and stays there. How much more would the, would the uh, altar and the the earthly tabernacle need this covering to not burn up from the, the presence of God. So again, that the kapara is just a covering. Then he poured the blood at the base of the altar, thereby sanctifying it as a means to make atonement with it. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. So that same word there is used for us. So it's to make atonement, it's a covering for your souls. It's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So they will be doing the same thing in the millennium. It has not changed at all. The blood that the priests were were giving back uh, before Jesus will have the same function that it will have in the age to come. Now, again, the blood of an animal does not take away your sin. What takes away your sin is when you come to God, your hands 
are are lifted up. You don't have to lift your hands, but you know, figuratively at least, you're you're crying out to God and say, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I have broken your laws. I ask for your forgiveness. And he says, Okay, done. All right. Now we know that the blood of Jesus was the one thing that could actually make um, restitution. It could it could it could correct that relationship in, in a in an eternal way. And so it's only the blood of Jesus. So the blood of the animals was simply a temporary fix, a temporary covering for people who were living in close proximity to God. If you uh, sacrifice an animal, and yet your heart was still far from God, and there was no confession, there was no repentance, then that blood was for nothing. It was a waste of blood to just do that. And God was not happy when they were all about doing the sacrifices, but they weren't about changing their hearts. So it has always, always, always been about changing your heart. Yes, the blood is a, a necessary component of that, but it's not the blood that makes the fix. It's repenting that makes the fix. So the sacrifices will do the same exact function in the age to come. Now, we're told that the Yom Kippur sacrifice, which we see in Hebrews 9-7, is going to be done once a year. Of course, it was done, and it will be done once a year. But in the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Again, this blood does not take away sins. That is That comes through a confession and repenting. And then, of course, the blood of Jesus uh, does an incredible job that no animal could ever do. So the sacrifices will be for those people who are mortals who do not have their new body and they need a covering during the thousand years so they don't get disintegrated by god's fiery power during that time now um i'm going to stop here for today uh we're going to look next time at the river and uh, the cleansing that it provides for mortals, and we'll look at the, the tree of life as well, and then we'll pull it all together to give uh, what I believe is going to be kind of a, a blow-by-blow event of how Satan is going to go out and he's going to deceive the nations. So we'll pick up next time with the river of life and the cleansing for the mortals. And uh, I hope this offered some uh, some some insights for you. Uh, and... Um, let me go ahead and put my camera back on, and I will be glad to take your questions. Uh, so let me just go back here. All right. Hello, everyone. Good to see you guys. All right. Um, here's a question from Cole. I wonder if some of if some of Scripture that we attribute to the second coming of Messiah to actually be for the time period when Satan is released after the thousand years. You know, that's a great question. Uh, I've considered that, and I, I have not seen any evidence that would really make me think that it's talking about the second coming. But, uh, you know, until it all happens, I can I can only give you my best guess. So thanks for the good question. All right. Uh, Duga Turn Daily says, Then God said, Let the, the water swarm with living creatures, and birds fly above the expanse of the sky. Uh, birds flew before the creation of man. That's correct. Yes. And let's see here if I can just get the rest of the question. Um, sorry, it went a little too far here. Uh, okay, question. Uh, what role do the birds play as they were created before us and were there after us? Well, he, he's also quoting from Matthew 24, 7, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man, wherever the carcasses there the vultures will gather. In my presentation on uh, Yeshua's glorious return at the second coming of the Battle of Armageddon, uh, I suggest that the, the vultures, it's not that the birds are here after us, but during the tribulation, millions upon millions and millions of birds will die uh, because of just what's happening on planet Earth. And of course, who's going to be left? Well, the, the birds of, of carrion, right? The carrion birds, uh, the birds of prey, such as the vultures, such as the eagle, you know, things that, that feast on flesh. And so at the Battle of Armageddon, 
when they are presumably flying over uh, Jerusalem on their migration from Europe down to Africa, an angel will look up and say, hey, birds, come on down for this great feast that's prepared for you. And they'll come down and they're going to have quite the snack. Uh, but this is not to say that the birds, uh, that those will be the only birds. You know, God may recreate some of the birds that died or there'll be at least enough birds that are still around that they can repopulate planet Earth. Uh, the second would be would be my take on it. But um, I think the birds will always be here. I think the birds are special. God loves the birds. And uh, they're very, very important part of his creation. Um, here's a question. Aren't we past the 6,000 years or 120 jubilees? Uh, Sandra, um, I don't know. It, it's a good question. You know, we could speculate. I could, you know, make a case for it. But I, I just don't know, to be honest. So uh, it's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, question, Doug. First resurrection is at last Trump when those in Christ are raised to meet him at the second coming. Uh, so is the second resurrection, those who are not raised in the first, will they come back before or after Satan is released from the pit? Um, from what I read, they are going to come back after Satan is released from the pit. Uh, they will be raised at the, the very last time of judgment. So basically, we're going to have two major judgments. One is when Jesus returns and he sets up his throne. You can read about that in Matthew 25. And he's going to separate the nations uh, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep will get to come into the good land. The goats will go away. And it says that they are sent into the fire prepared for satan and his angels so that is their final judgment they're not going to get another day in court that's it they're done it's all over all right so so the people that will be raised after that are the people that have died before and have never been judged they were wicked for whatever reason and they have been waiting their judgment they will be finally raised after it's all done, all said and done, then that will be the, the final judgment. Now, it will be the same judge. It will be the same throne. It will be the same court, same location, uh, just a thousand years later. So it will be, again, the same courtroom, but this, but uh, a thousand years separated. And then uh, they will then finally get their, their final uh, time in court, as it were. So, uh, good question. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, Cole, is it possible uh, for the greater exodus to happen before the millennium? Well, I believe so, yes. And I, I tried to make the case in the second coming of the Battle of Armageddon that the greater exodus, I would suggest, is going to happen when Jesus comes back and you have the people fleeing through the mountain valley that is created when Jesus' feet touch down on the Mount of Olives. So that's my take on it. Uh, good question. Um, Okay, uh, let's see here. A few comments there. I'll leave you guys to your comments. Uh, Doug, I, I like you. I, I, I like and you have a powerful imagination, and that's how the faith grows, correctly and strong. Okay, I hope so. hope we got it right. Uh, I did my best. So the roads are the new thing he builds in Isaiah 43, 19. That's true. Um, okay. And let's see, crystal, yes, yes. And it's that force field is what Jesus' sacrifice provides for us now. Well, you know, I, I would suggest that Jesus' blood does not provide a force field for us. I think that his blood was actually necessary to go on to that heavenly altar. And when he did that, it then reconciled, it, it reconstituted the elements of heaven and earth. Now, it hasn't been completely manifested yet, but it was all done. The legal uh, paperwork, if you will, was done at the cross and when Jesus took his blood into the Holy of Holies in heaven. And so now based on that, when he comes back, uh, we will then have the right and, and um, authority to, to receive a new body. So, yeah, good thought. And let's see here. Uh, okay, so do you think that there will be non-believers that won't take the mark and those are the possible mortals in the thousand years? Yes, essentially, uh, GS World 5, that's what I think, is that these will be people who are not believers. They're not 
you know, sold out for Jesus, as it were, and they haven't taken the mark of the beast, I would suggest these are just what we might call decent people. Okay, uh, they didn't do the wrong thing. They more or less did the right thing. Maybe they didn't know they were doing the right thing. Uh, you know, they have not any allegiance to Jesus, so far as I can tell, and they will become the the mortals. They will be the mortals that we're talking about in this. And uh, Anna says, very thought-provoking. So, well, thank you. I do appreciate that. Um, again, guys, uh, you can leave more comments in the comments section after the video uh, is fully fully posted, and I will be checking those out. So uh, please feel free to do that. Thank you for watching. Uh, please do subscribe and hit that little bell because then you'll be notified. Uh, you can share this with others. And if you want to support this, you can go to the Patreon button there at the top. And, of course, all of those are very much appreciated. Till next time, God bless you and have a good evening.